You're listening to Safer Retirement Radio, where you get the transparency you deserve. Your host, Brian J. Decker, has 35 years of finance and investing experience and is the CEO of Decker Retirement Planning. He's also the author of The Decker Approach, A Safer Approach to Retirement, and has been featured in several major news publications, including Forbes, Newsmax Finance, The Street, and many more. Brian, welcome back to another week. We're excited to be here today. Um, lots of stuff to cover. Yeah, lots lots to cover. You know, as, we, as we've talked about distribution planning and we talked about our approach to helping people maintain and, and, and enjoy a safer retirement, today we want to talk about the potential problems that we see retirees run into if their plans aren't set up the right way. So we're going to talk about some common pitfalls. Today we're going to be talking about some questions that you should be asking both yourself, possibly your spouse, your financial advisor, and helping helping to talk through some of those um, some of those issues. So we've got a lot of um, a lot of great points that we're going to be covering today and talking about how that relates to some common issues and maybe some things that you haven't really thought about before. We just don't want anyone to get into a retirement situation where, hey, I retired, and oh, by the way, there's this there's this thing that I should have thought about before I retired. So we're going to try to cover as much as we can on that to help you kind of get an eyes wide open approach to how you should be thinking about your retirement. So we want to start off talking about income optimization. So Ryan, why don't you talk about the first point that we've got here, and that's understanding how much income somebody wants in retirement. There's a reason that we're lead, leading with income because if you don't have enough, you shouldn't retire. If there's if that's an option, sometimes that's not an option. Sometimes uh, you might have been part of a, a situation at a company that everyone was let go that was over 60 years old, even though that's blatantly illegal. We've seen it a number of times, but income is everything. So um, let's give two scenarios. Let's say that, and we see this a lot too. Let's say that Clayton, you say, you know that your budget is, you'd like to see $10,000 a month net. Many times we see where clients can get more, 14, 15, sometimes 18,000 net um, when they say that they need 10. And the people say predictably the same thing in this scenario. Oh, I could never spend that much. Um, And we say, okay, time out. I want you to remember that you have spent 40 years saving, scrimping, budgeting, investing wisely, doing without for some day for the golden years of retirement. Well, here we are. And now you've got to give yourself permission to spend this money because mathematically, it's there and we've we've uh, put colas in cost of living adjustments so that every year it's going to be more. And I would say, Clayton, you correct me in what your observation is. Um, I would say 80% say, OK, yeah, let's do it. And for some people, we use this analogy where um, at the airports, Uh, When the flight starts, you have the flight attendants talk about the oxygen mask. And it's not intuitive for any parent to put their oxygen mask on first. But if they follow directions and they do, they're able to help others around them. So in making sure, and this isn't selfish, in making sure that home base is taken care of, 
when you could spend, when you need 10,000 a month and you're getting 14, 16, 18,000, we recommend that people leave that spigot all the way on, go a couple years, make sure that you're driving the car that you want, living in the house you want, going on the trips you want, wearing the clothes that you want, going to the social events that you want, and see where you settle in as far as your spending. And once you settle into that level, we can always um, dial it back to that level. But those are the happy um, scenarios where they could get more and they, so human nature is so interesting. Predictably, we have to talk them into spending the money that they earned for this event called retirement. Right. Well, and one thing I'll add to that too, before we move on to the next point is when we talk about drawing as much as you can in retirement, I think a lot of people don't know what that number is. And that's why we use a distribution strategy, which, we, which we've talked about before. Um, but we can help zero in on that number for for a lot of people by putting their their assets and and the the their income streams and all the other um the the different kind of scenarios that they have in their in their lives into it's a it's a one-page retirement plan that shows what their estimated uh income can be down to a monthly basis for the for the rest of their lives down to the dollar down to the dollar so um when we say how much income can you can you draw or do you want at retirement, we can we have the ability to help tell you what you can draw and we can talk about if that is what you want and and have the conversation. There's two kind of pieces to that. So anything else on that one before we move on to the next point? Um, no, I'm really glad that you brought it up. I keep forgetting that uh, maybe some of the listeners hadn't listened to the previous <laughs> podcast to know what I'm talking about. I, I want to make a bigger point and that is in my opinion, <clears throat> you can't look at a pie chart and see how much money you can draw from that account for the rest of your life. You can't know that. And if you use a distribution tool called the 4% rule, that's been discredited. We talked about that on another um, a, another podcast. But when you're drawing income from a fluctuating account, you're compromising gains when markets go up, you're accentuating losses when markets go down. It's going to be very important to have a mathematical approach and use the distribution plan, Clayton, that you brought up and to make sure um, and to make sure that we know how much money you can draw uh, and take annually and per month with a cost of living adjustment to age 100. I want to just mention real quickly that when preparing for retirement, one of the greatest problems you could have is retiring too soon. And if we run the poor, if we run the math and we find out on the income plan or the spreadsheet that they're not ready to retire yet, or they can't get the 10,000 or whatever money that they want. Um, that's a huge blessing to find out before they retire. And then we help them know when they can retire before uh, the income settles into the amount that they want. So we're a math-based firm. Income is everything. And we want to make sure that you retire at the right time so that that right level of income is there for the rest of your life. Right. Okay. So we talked about how much income do you want at retirement? We talked a little bit about inflation protection, how we in the, in the plan, and, and you want to consider this too, because we know that, that social security, if you've talked to anybody that's drawing social security, um, 
there is a, a, a cost of living adjustment or a slight increase that is typically given out on a yearly basis. But if you've talked to anybody that ever has or is drawing Social Security, it's, it's almost never what the cost of living increases actually are. Um, I think for, for what, 2021, it was like 1.3%. But for a few years leading up to 2020, there wasn't any kind of a jump at all. And so that's something to consider when it comes to to your plan and what you're going to be getting down the road is a, a dollar today isn't going to go as far down the road. So you're going to need to be drawing more income um, down the road. And that's, again, why your plan should look at a 20 to 30 year time horizon for a lot of folks. And how is your income going to increase? Because Social Security's increases aren't going to take um, care of that enough. And so that's a consideration is do you have inflation protection built into your current strategy? Right. And um, we, we would point out, Clayton, that there's five levels of inflation protection that we want to make sure is there. And by the way, that's really funny. The government CPI is totally relevant as long as you're not eating, going to college or using any health care, then you're good. As long as those things aren't happening, then you're fine. Yeah. Um, but there's five layers of protection that we want you to look at your plan and make sure that it's covering these things. So number one, does it have a COLA, cost of living adjustment? On the COLA, we flatten the COLA sometimes because you have your go-go years, slow-go years, and no-go years. We want to make sure that you have more money during your healthy travel years, and then we can plateau it a little bit when you start to slow down. Does that make sense? Right. So, yep. so yes, make sure there's a COLA in there, but make sure that your COLA doesn't rob you of opportunities for travel and enjoying your golden years during your healthy years. Second, the second point that needs to be in your plan is to look and see if you've got any inheritance coming in. Now, we don't include it in the spreadsheet, but if it is coming in, <clears throat> try to be conservative on the dollar amount and the time. I know this is a horrible topic, but if your parents are 95 years old and in poor health and their uh, estate is worth, you're guessing, maybe a million with three kids, then maybe go out five years and instead of showing 330, show 250,000, but try to be conservative on time and dollars and then make sure that that is part of your inflation protection because that will be an injection of capital into your, your retirement plan. That's number two. Number three for inflation protection is do you own a home? Do you own real estate? If you're a renter, you don't have this inflation protection that hard assets like a home, residence, or any rental real estate or vacation properties offer. When we have high inflation like we did in the late 70s, hard assets like real estate go up and in value and they hedge your your exposure to inflation so real estate is number three it's a very important hedge for inflation number four is called a downsize a downsize happens in your late 70s early 80s when your back hurts your joints hurt you're no longer enjoying doing gardening the stairs are a pain and you'll sell your home for X, buy a, a condo with all your friends that moved into a community for Y. <clears throat> and usually the difference between X and Y are several hundred thousand dollars that would go into the plan on a downsize, but we're not showing that. It's icing on the cake. 
the fourth and final or the fifth and final part of the inflation protection that we offer is the risk bucket um, that we manage. Uh, that's a separate discussion. Right, that we've separate conversation. Had, um, but the average return of the two-sided trend-following strategies that make money as markets go up and are designed to protect you as markets go down, those have averaged 20 plus percent. We're showing six, six on the um, on the header. So on the planning, we're going to have extra money that accumulates in the risk bucket, and that's there also as an inflation hedge. So our clients do have risk exposure, but we try to make sure that their inflation risk is very small. Right. Any, anything to add on that? No, that's it on that. So in, in talking about inflation again, just consider as you're building your plan that your dollar today isn't going to go as far in 15, 20, 30 years from now. So consider how that's going to be done. If you want more help on that, obviously we talked through some points and we can help talk you through what specifically applies to you if you've got questions on that. So the next one is a stock market crash. This is a biggie. Right, because these are these are inevitable. And they and they happen historically, well prior to the last I guess 10 years, every 7 or 8 years has kind of been the pattern that they happen on. So we've got 08, we had a 50% crash, the real estate bubble, 7 years before that was 01, the middle of the dot com bubble. And we can go back, I mean trace it all back through the 60s every and beyond. Every 7 years. And it seems like every 7 or 8 years there's a market crash. So as you retire and you're planning on I mean 20 to 30 years in retirement, you are still, you're, you're anticipated that you're going to run into three or four of these in your retirement. And so you've got to consider how does your portfolio or how will your portfolio hold up against a stock market crash? And if you are all in on the stock market, if your portfolio is, is invested in the S&P or any other funds that they can lose value, that's your income that's going to go down if the stock market crashes. And now with where we are with historic low interest rates, if you've got a blend in your portfolio that some of it's in in some bond funds that are supposed to be safe against the stock market crash, number one, you're probably not making anything, uh, any good returns right now, but then you're also susceptible to interest rate risk. So that aside, what happens when the stock market crashes to your portfolio? What else do you want to add to that, Brian? I just want to add that in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, you can use the pie chart. It's an accumulation strategy and our regular listeners, I'm going to say this quickly because they've heard this before, but in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and up to five years uh, to retirement, um, you can use the pie chart, your 401k, uh, every two weeks you're adding to your 401k, market drops 50%, no big deal, you've got salary coming in from work. That's quite different. When the markets drop and you're down, uh, you're down 50%, uh, and then the markets come back, that's a life changer for, um, that's a big life changer for, um, for you in retirement. So we want to make sure that you have downside protection in place. Every portfolio typically has cash, safe money, and risk. So cash, safe money should be principal guaranteed. Your risk should have a strategy for downside protection. At Decker Retirement, we have downside protection on the risk bucket. So if a market's crash um, soon, then our clients are, uh, we expect to be able to make money in the risk bucket and to be principal protected 
in the cash and the safe money. Thank you. That's helpful to see. And so again, as you're considering, look at look at the effect of a stock market crash on your portfolio. What's going to happen to you if the stock market drops 30% or 40% or 50% because that is very common. We've seen that we've seen that happen before. Um, so let's move on to the next point. The next point is how much income is lost at the death of either spouse. And this is always a sensitive topic to cover with folks, but it's an important one because you want to make sure that when you need to deal with something emotionally, that you're not also having to deal with a financial fallout at the same time. And so, Brian, why don't you speak to this a little bit on on making sure people are are going to be okay if one of the spouses passes away before it's kind of anticipated? I know this is an awkward topic, but we quantify what would happen if at the death of a spouse. So, um, Clayton, let's say that um, spouse A uh, is 65 years old um, and they're both married. So we kill off one spouse. We usually throw the man under the bus first. Um, Susie, your spouse dies right now. What happens to you? Uh, Well, you still own the portfolio. You're the primary beneficiary. You still own the home. You still have rental income coming to you. You still, uh, you may or may not have uh, the pension depending on survivability. We look at that. But when it comes to social security, um, what happens at the death of a spouse is you don't get both. You get the higher of the two. So we look and see what the income drop is from any loss of income from Social Security and pension. Um, and then we ask for life insurance. Do And we recommend life insurance for two reasons, typically. Actually, three reasons. One uh, is to get people to retirement. If they're retired, in our opinion, that, that reason is gone. Number two is income replacement. So if someone is, uh, let's say, Clayton, that you're, you have a $100,000 pension and it has no survivability, now your spouse has income risk because it dies with you. And so we want to make sure that um, life insurance is there to protect the spouse in that, in that instance. And number three, for estate planning, which is a different topic. But we go through and see how much income is lost at the death of a spouse and if it's significant, then we need to talk about insurance for income replacement, right? Right. It's just looking at it's just looking at a contingency plan. In in the case, and I believe you mentioned of some of some folks that if you've got, uh, so we've we've got an office in Washington, a couple offices in Washington, and and so we deal a lot with Boeing retirees that enjoy wonderful pensions for their hard work. Now, most people don't get that kind of a benefit these days, but that being said, when you've got a pension, if you, if the survivability option, if none of it passes to a spouse, then you're running into issues. And so those are the kind of things that you have to consider. Um, and so we look, we look at that. That's a consideration that we take into account for our clients is, are both spouses going to be okay financially if something happens before it's expected to the other one? And let's say that one spouse is squeezed a little bit. There's a lot of times that they own the home, they could do a downsize. They have 6,000 square foot home that they can sell and downsize to something smaller. And now the income is there that they were missing. Right. Anyhow, we just go through that scenario to make sure a worst case scenario has already got a strategy in place. So the next question to ask is, is it necessary to take risk to accomplish your goals? Okay, I'm going to be much more concise on all future points here. Um, number one, if 
we have someone with a million five in assets and they only need $10,000 a month and they're 65 years old and they've got rental income and they've got uh, social security income and a pension, chances are they can get 20,000 a month in income, net of tax, they only need 10. If they wanna spend 20, that's great, but if they want 10 and they insist on 10, then no, they don't need to have any money at risk because principal guaranteed options, the returns coming from those sources, they don't need to take any money uh, from the stock market. They don't need to put any money in the stock market. Right. And and when real quick, just to define risk, when we talk about take risk, that's have money invested in the stock market, money that can lose value. Um, that's how we define risk when we talk about is should you be taking risk or not? And it's mathematically calculated. If they need to take any risk, we point that out. If they don't need to take any mo- put any money at risk, we point that out. Right. Um, I would skip down to um, tax optimization because we can we can bring that last bullet point into play on that topic. Right. And when you say skip down, so just so our listeners know, we're 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 using a list. That, the reason that we we talk about our clients that we go through this with our clients is we have a list that we talk through all these different bullet points. And so this is, again, a consideration as you're, as you're trying to decide, well, do, does my retirement plan address these? I mean, we, we go through this. This is a common conversation that we have with our clients. And if you want to talk a little bit more about it and see how it, these problems apply to you or if you're going to have these problems in retirement, give us a call. Our number is 833-707-3030. We can talk through all these all these potential problems with you to make sure that your portfolio is set up um, in a way so that these things shouldn't affect you. Um, so again, that number is 833-707-3030. Again, 833-707-3030. So we've talked about income optimization. Now let's talk about tax optimization or tax minimization. Right. Okay, so the two the two biggest tax optimization strategies, I'll start with number one, by far is the Roth conversion. So the Roth conversion, a Roth IRA account is three things. It grows tax-free, it distributes income back to you tax-free, it passes to your beneficiaries tax-free. And we're being very proactive by converting IRAs to Roth. Now, some people think, wait a second, the Roth account is limited to $6,000 per year, and that's if only if I qualify, if I'm making less than $135,000 a year. Um, but no, this is a conversion, not a contribution. So a conversion allows us to look and see at your tax tables. We're very math-based on this. And to say, if you're making, um, let's say you're making $120,000 a year, we, you're in the 22% bracket and you have uh, room without changing your bracket of about $40,000 before you go into the 24% bracket. We subtract the standard deduction and we see how much room you've got before you bump to the next bracket. That's how much money we want to convert from IRA to Roth because if, um, let's say Clayton and you've play along with this. You've heard this so many times. Clayton, 
if we take your $300,000 IRA and grow it to 1.2 million in 20 years, are you happy with us? Well, yeah. Okay, right answer. Now you can say back to me, wait a second, I could have paid tax on 300,000 and now I'm paying tax on 1.2 million. Um, I don't appreciate that part of the uh, of it, the tax side. So what we do is we take the 300,000 and over five to seven years, we convert that money from IRA to Roth so that all future gains are tax free and the income from those accounts are tax free. And when you die, it passes to beneficiaries tax free. We don't do it for the other accounts because they're earning less on the rate of return and they're taking the money too soon. But the Roth, the difference between paying tax on 300 grand and 1.2 million is a chunk. Right. That's gonna be the biggest tax savings that strategy that most people in their life are left to enjoy. Right. And with this, obviously, we, we know that as retirement planners, we want to make sure that you're able to work with your tax professional on these so that they sign off on all this stuff because we want we want it all to work together. And so we're happy to work, whether it's a tax professional that you deal with. And in some cases for other for other topics, it can be an attorney. We're happy to work with with whoever we need to so that we're on your side and we're on your team. and We're making sure that your retirement is set up and that it's not well, I, I got my retirement set up. Now I hope it, it works with my, my tax guy signs off on it. We'll work with it so everything syncs up as well as it can and, and that you can enjoy that retirement knowing you had all those important conversations when you got it set up so you can go you can go play and you can go do the things that you want to do and have fun in, in retirement. Um, so with this, again, is if you're looking at kind of what should you be doing, what... Uh, are these applicable to you? Again, give us a call. Our number is 833-707-3030. That's 833-707-3030. Any other points that you want to touch on, on on tax optimization before we go to the break? Yeah, real quickly, the second strategy that we save people a lot of money on tax is called placement. So retirement portfolios are split between qualified and non-qualified funds. Uh, Qualified money is any retirement accounts. When you pull money, $1,000 out of an IRA, it's taxable. When you pull $1,000 out of savings, checking, joint accounts, or trust accounts, that's non-qualified. It's not taxable. So what we do, and I wish we weren't in radio. I wish we could show this on TV. Um, we have the front end of the plan where you're drawing from first be non-qualified. So in the first five years, Clayton, our clients are pulling money out of their portfolio and they're not paying tax on that. They're paying tax on the gains, but not on the principal. And that gives us five years to um, pull money and convert it from IRA to Roth. It gives us a window. So those two work together, placement of qualified and non-qualified funds and the IRA to Roth conversion allows us to save our clients easily six figures plus um, in the por in the portfolio strategies that we use. Right. And so we're going to go, we're going to take a break here in just a minute. And when we come back, we are going to be finishing our conversation on other tax optimization strategies to consider. We're going to be talking about um, RMDs. Are there legacy holdings that you should be considering? Um, and how does that pass on to beneficiaries? We're going to be talking about Dynasty trust, dynasty trust, how to protect your assets, how to minimize your risk. Do you have enough liquidity? 
So there's a lot of big points that we're going to be hitting when we come back from the break. If you want to learn more about any of this, please give us a call. Our number is 833-707-3030. That number one more time, 833-707-3030. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Safer Retirement Radio, where you get the transparency you deserve. I'm Clayton Bradshaw. With me is your host, Brian J. Decker. He's the owner and founder of Decker Retirement Planning. Um, We're going to pick up where we left off. In our last segment, we were talking about income optimization. We were talking about tax minimization. And and as we're talking about, and we've been talking about the potential problems that we have seen retirees face time and time again in retirement. And that's why we go through these problems with our clients so we can help them avoid these problems as much as possible. And so we've, we've been talking about how they can optimize their income while um, protecting themselves as much as possible against things like inflation or a stock market crash or um, the passing, the unexpected passing of a spouse and losing out on income from, from that. We also talked about minimizing taxes in retirement through various tax optimization strategies, including Roth conversions. Um, but we're gonna we're we're jumping back into we're gonna start off this segment by talking about RMDs and a little bit more on the tax optimization um conversation. So Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about RMDs and how somebody can use that to their advantage in retirement? Good. So RMDs required minimum distributions. Uh CARES Act recently moved it from 70 and a half to 72. So in the calendar year, January 1, if you are 72 in that year, calendar year, then you owe a certain amount of money from your retirement accounts, from your qualified accounts, to come back to you. In our opinion, we're math-based. We There's a right and wrong way to pull required minimum distributions from your account. The right way, of course, Clayton, is what we do. <laughs> the right of course right the right way is what we do and what we do is we include required minimum distributions in the income coming back to our clients anyhow now let me tell you in contrast what the wrong way to do the wrong way is to have an income set up where all of a sudden lump sum in fourth quarter somewhere in november you get a lump sum of your rmd that's 100 percent taxable on top of your taxable income stream for the whole year The right way optimizes and minimizes the tax, optimizes the income stream, minimizes the tax. Option number two, not so much. So we want to make sure that you're taking those required minimum distributions in an optimal way. Um, So with that, we also want to talk um, because we're we're, there's a obviously we've got a lot to cover today with what we're trying to get through. So we want to touch on these points briefly. And for anyone that's interested in learning more about a specific, if something kind of catches your ear, please give us a call. Our number is 833-707-3030. That number one more time, 833-707-3030. We can talk about these various tax optimization strategies. We can talk about RMDs and what we what we feel is the best way to draw them. And a lot of this stuff, it comes from kind of a common sense approach that we've found, especially you, Brian. You've been in the industry for over 35 years. And as you've worked with people and helped people retire and retire successfully, you've seen that that there is a uh, uh, there's good, better, best, right? And we always try to make sure that that our clients are getting the best way to deal with certain things. So we want to talk a little bit now about legacy holdings. So Brian, what are legacy holdings and how can someone use this to their advantage with tax? And I guess let's start with 
what what are they? What is the problem that people run into? And then how can you benefit from them? Okay, legacy holdings is where these assets are not part of the income that you need for the rest of your life. They're separate. They're extra and they are usually invested differently. Um, there are tax strategies to pass assets to beneficiaries from legacy holdings that are separate from someone who doesn't. So someone who has legacy holdings, let's say that uh, you've got $2 million and you only need uh, $10,000 a month. Um, you're going to have enough assets to generate far more than 10,000. So if you insist on not spending 20, but you want 10, then you have a legacy column of assets that could and should be invested differently than your portfolio that is going to be generating income for the rest of your life. They're separate. Um, so that's, that's the definition of legacy holdings. Any, anything you want to add to that before we jump into the dynasty trust? No, I think that's the only thing. It's just a matter of making sure that as these assets go to to transfer on to your beneficiaries, and they're there if you want to take advantage of them while you're um, while you're still alive, but with the expectation that they'll be passed on. There's efficient ways and inefficient ways to pass those on to beneficiaries, and so depending on the type of money it is, where it is, how it's invested, we can help optimize that as much as possible to make sure that those accounts transfer properly. Actually, we should touch on one thing that you just said. In legacy money, most people have children that they pass assets to. Some don't. Some don't have any children. And they'll they'll uh, list as beneficiaries 501c3 organizations, charitable organizations, where they qualify for a, uh, a tax deduction for that, uh, uh, that asset transfer. Most people... Um, are dead when they pass the assets. And so guess what happens to that tax credit? It dies with them. That's an inefficiency that we want to make sure that you know about as listeners here. And you can fix that. If you've got a legacy column, it can and should be invested in a ways that you can use donor advised funds or stated beneficiaries of 501c3 where you can get the tax credit while you're still alive and have use and access to those funds so that when you pass, the remaining funds pass to the, the char charitable organization, but you, while you were alive, enjoyed the credit. Right. Thank you. So let's touch on the Dynasty Trust now before we move on to asset protection. So, Brian, what is a Dynasty Trust and how, does, how can someone benefit from this? Okay, the Dynasty Trust is where... Um, you have more than enough, in your opinion, going to your kiddos. So let's say that you had two kids, $10 million estate. Instead of dividing the assets by two and giving each child $5 million each, you can divide your estate by three, have each of your children get $3.3 million, and then have the trust, the dynasty trust, as beneficiary received 3.3 million. So let's talk about uh, what the trust is. A dynasty trust is two things. It's perpetual and per stirpes. When you die and the trust doesn't, the trust can receive assets in transfer and in the trust, because it's perpetual, it can be generational in passing assets for any reason you want. Every child uh, that is 
per stirpes. By the way, that's bloodline only. So if Johnny marries Susie and Susie divorces Johnny, she has zero access because it's per stirpes, zero access to those assets. So it stays with your children. Um, like I said, it's a blank chalkboard on what percent of the assets go to, to uh, the children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, etc. You can have it fund college education. That by far is the most um, that the most popular way to transfer assets is X percent, usually three or four percent of the portfolio can go fund Johnny's college education. It incents them to go to school. Um, it can uh, help for uh, spitting out some percentage of assets upon uh, a wedding or a graduate degree or whatever it is. You, you can name anything you want and uh, the dynasty trust will spit out a percentage of the assets perpetually for generations. And they'll always be grateful for uh, grandma and grandpa for helping them along in, in their life. Thank you. Um, so anything else, Brian, on tax optimization, obviously when you're, when you're dealing with tax, you want to talk to your tax professional. Um, when you're dealing with estate planning, you want to make sure that your attorney signs off on everything, but we've seen, especially you, Brian, being in the industry for as long as you have, you've seen the common pitfalls. And so talking through these points, it's helpful because there's good information you can take back to your attorney or your tax professional. And we'd love to I mean, we do this where we get them on the phone and we make sure that everyone's everyone's synced up and on the same the same path, and we have the we agree on everything so that your retirement takes care of you and it allows you to do the things ultimately that you want to do. So let's uh, let's move on to asset protection. We're talking about the best ways that somebody can, um, in our opinion, protect their assets um, from a, a few different issues that people can run into. So the first one, Brian. Um, is the consideration of if there's money that will be left over for heirs. So this is an estate planning topic. So you've taken a lifetime to protect, uh, to grow your assets. Now part of the planning that we do is protecting them. So this is kind of funny, uh, Clayton, 50-50 on this. Uh, we ask people if they want to pay estate, state, estate taxes. The federal, the federal estate tax is $10 million per per spouse. So that's how to reach for most clients. But the state estate tax is not. The state estate tax is low enough that it affects people. So we ask them, do you want your estate to uh, go to your beneficiaries and have the estate pay the estate tax or the state estate tax? And half of them say no. Whatever Johnny and Sally get, um, that's more than I ever got. So no, the, those, we'll just have that come out of their share. Um, the other 50% say, I would roll over in my grave knowing that after paying a lifetime of taxes, I'm going to pay another chunk of tax um, just because I died. And so we'll put together an estate tax plan. Okay, thank you for that. So um, the next one that we've got on here is when will your heirs receive that money? Today at death or a combination. Um, so if you have, um, it, you, you have a choice on how to use your assets. If you have a plan to have um, your assets used exclusively by 
a husband and wife, and then at death, those funds are transferred to them. There's good, better, best, Clayton, like you brought up. That's good, but there's something better. Uh, something better is seeing that you have extra, seeing that you're ahead of schedule, and using some of those funds to have family reunions uh, so that you can create memories while you're still healthy and can enjoy all of your family. And yes, you're spending down your estate. That's part of your estate uh, tax strategy. And you're enjoying uh, great memories while you're still healthy and active. So family reunions is part of a, uh, a, a an estate tax strategy. But we hope that people enjoy their heirs, uh, that they do receive the money at death, but they're in, able to enjoy it during the lifetime of the the grantors also. Thank you. So the next one that we want to talk about, this one is kind of a, an interesting one. And I think for some, as I've had this conversation with folks, it's some people think, well, that's not that's not my kids at all. Some people, as I do a, little, do a little more digging, they didn't realize that it was them. And other people, they very much have that problem. This is what we call a bleeding a bleeding heart. Oh, uh, couldn't be me. Right. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't be me. It's, and it's kind of funny to, to talk to people about this so that I guess I'll use the, this is the poster child, I think, for what a bleeding heart is. A few years ago, um, I can't remember, I think he lived back east. There was a guy, he was in his early 30s. And he lived in his parents' basement, and his parents finally had to take him to court to get him to move out of the basement. Because why? Why would you want to move out of your parents' basement? It's where you grew up. You're comfortable there. Expenses the paid. Expenses paid. The lights always turn on. There's always food in the fridge. There's always toilet paper. Right? You you always there's there's always that kind of stuff there. But it, it to what detriment? Right? So. So let's talk a little bit more about this, Brian, and kind of define it a little bit more um, and how this is a problem and what couples can do or individuals can do if they have a bleeding heart in their life. Because it's not always a kid either is the other side of it. It goes both ways. So when a child views the parents' money as their money, that's a major problem. And true story, we, um, gosh, this is now 15 years ago in Seattle. We had a couple come in. They lived right on the lake, Lake Washington, um, million-dollar estate. And they had drained their, all their investments are gone um, because every time Johnny and Sally needed money, they called mom and dad. They viewed their parents' money as their money and they loved their kids so much that they never said no. And so it got to a point where now the lawn care expenses on their estate on Lake Washington, the parents couldn't afford it. We told them they had no other ch choice but to sell the property and downsize, and they fired us for saying that. They didn't want to see the truth. They had their head in the sand like an ostrich. But so that's one part of the bleeding heart is to make sure that you love your kids. Well, now let's do the other side. The other side is how the parents view the children, not how the children view the parents' assets, but now we're switching it. The parents, when they talk amongst themselves and say, Gosh, the 20s and 30s were rough. We were poor. We, ha we hardly had money for rent and, uh, or food. And let's make sure that we rescue our kids from those trials. So, Because that was rough on us. That's the bleeding heart in reverse. We advise parents to love their children enough so that they go through the hard times of life because life lessons like that teach them to be frugal, have a budget, uh, invest and do without and and 
And, and that's responsible. And those life lessons are taught usually in the 20s and 30s. So right. when it comes to bleeding heart, we just have that conversation to make sure that we can be the bad guy. And we have been. When Johnny and Sally call, they'll say, no, not yes, automatically. They'll say, let me check with my advisor, my financial advisor. Let me check with Brian or Clayton and see. Yeah. And there'll be a, what? Who's Brian? And they, they'll come back and they'll say, Brian said no. <laughs> that's, that's, it, it just makes the conversation a little easier because I, I think as, as parents, just about any of us are going to do anything we can to help our kids and to, to take care of our kids. And, uh, and so anyway, it's, it's something to consider. And like I said, I've had this conversation with folks where some of them are like, nope, took care of that, trained my kids up right when they were teenagers. And it's not a matter of training them right or wrong. It's just a matter of helping them kind of move on and it, you've got to help them. Sometimes they have to make, you have to make tough decisions. So, um, so this next one, this will probably be the last one that we'll be able to talk about, but it, I think it's an important one. It's a big it's a one. It's a big one. Yeah, it has to do. It has to do with insurance and what kinds of insurance do you need? Um, because I think the conversation from a lot of from a lot of different advisors out there is get as much as we think we can sell you, which is it shouldn't that shouldn't be the case at all. Get what you need. Don't get anything extra. So let's talk about kind of these three different points here, Brian. Okay. The first one is the umbrella policy. So on umbrella insurance, this is um, applicable to the cottage industry that exists in some of our markets on the West Coast where uh, kids will line up uh, near a traffic intersection and they will jump in front of your car, roll around the hood, fall on the ground, and they will sue you. And it happens a lot. The other one is if you own rental properties and winter comes, my gosh, they slipped on the ice and they're in the emergency room and they will sue you also. So this is a way that to protect yourself, it's uh, called an umbrella policy. It's for a million dollars. Typically, it's 300 bucks a year, not per month. And it gives you the freedom to take that worry off the table. So. That's the umbrella. Anything you want to add on that before we move on? No, I think just as you're considering it, um, if that's something that you need, if you, if you need some extra coverage, uh, shop around a little bit to make sure you are getting the best rate. Don't just talk to your neighbor because they're the insurance agent that you've known forever. Just make sure you shop around a little bit because typically you can find pretty good deals if it's somebody that you... Yeah, 300 bucks a year. <laughs> I constantly say that's the best, best money you'll spend in every year. Right. Okay. The second thing we kind of hit on earlier in the segment, life insurance. There's, there's three reasons for life insurance. One is to get you to retirement. And usually that's offered through your work and your work will pay for some of that as part of your compensation package. But anyhow, we want to make sure that the breadwinner, if there is a stay at home spouse, that that spouse is protected if the bread something happens to the breadwinner. But if, if we have two working spouses, that risk is much smaller, but loss of income applies if you lose an income stream. Not debasing to call a human being an income stream. Right. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, it just protects income replacement to retirement, stage one. Step two is in retirement, if there's a large pension uh, that is not survivable or transferable to a surviving spouse, we want to make sure that um, life insurance is in place to protect the surviving spouse. Right. Point three is the estate tax. 
the state estate tax applies to most people in most states. And we want to make sure that we have that discussion because if you buy life insurance on last to die and that policy is in your estate, you've just exacerbated the amount of money that that estate can be charged by the state for estate taxes. But it's got to be held outside of your estate. Um, and we're not going to go down that road. Uh, it's complicated, but that would be a third reason that we would buy a life policy. Anything you want to add to life insurance? Yeah. So, I mean, take, so we'll look at my situation, for example. So I've still got a bunch of little kids at home. And so for me, it's my wife stays home with the kids and I, and I work. So we would want something that if something happened to her, even for me as the primary breadwinner to offset if I, if I did have to step away from work for a few years to take care of those kids. Those are considerations that I've got when looking at life insurance. But I've talked to couples before that are, they have adult children that still depend on them. They have special needs and they're going to depend on them until that child passes away at some point in the future. And so those are also considerations to, to make sure that those income streams are replaced with some kind of a benefit. So life insurance, it's definitely, we, we, as we, as we set up the plans and as we look at the plans, these are kind of things that we help people understand. Um, should they be getting life insurance? Uh, what kind do they need? And we can, we can talk through the different needs, but for the, for the most part, we come in most of the people, I mean, we really don't, don't see a lot of need there because most people have taken care of, of what they need now in retirement. That's where we can get a little bit more specific for people. So let's talk long-term care. Okay. This last one, I'm going to talk quickly because it's a biggie long-term care. The, the, the risk, the long-term care risk is defined as the risk of one spouse bankrupting another spouse because of healthcare costs. The healthcare, the long-term care industry trots out a statistic that in our opinion is very deceptive, says that 70% of Americans will, um, will be using long-term care. According to the U.S. Census, that number is 14%. And so they get away by saying, if you spend even one day in hospice, that's, that's in a long-term care institution. So that's why they uh, inflate that number to, to such a scary level. So when we talk about long-term care, we want to hope for the best that you don't use it, but we want to plan for the worst. So I'm going to go through, Clayton, what I think a lot of our listeners have actually either experienced with their parents uh, or seen with some very close friends. Let's say, Clayton, I'm going to throw you under the bus. Let's say that you're 80 years old, you're diagnosed with dementia, and your sweet wife, Laura, the first third of this journey is all on her. Is it is there expenses? Not usually. Is there an emotional expense? It's off the charts. So this first third of the journey is all on your wife, Laura. She's taking care of you. The second third of this journey is more than she can handle. She needs in-home care, and she's bringing that in to the tune of 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 a month as needed. And that grows over time to where now in the third part of the journey, you're dressing up uh, in the middle of the night for board meetings that don't exist and you're wandering out into the street and you're endangering your life. So now you've got to go to a full-time facility. Those are expensive, eight to 10,000 a month. And now the typical time spent there is a couple years. So let's say it's 8,000 a month, which it is locally here on average, times 12, times two, 
That's $200,000. Do you have $200,000? Most people have it two places. One, the equity in their home, and two, in the excess that they have with us in their risk bucket. So one option is to self-insure that risk. And we are licensed to sell long-term care. I've sold one in 35 years. How many have you sold? I've never sold any. Okay. And that's because we're fiduciaries. We could, but we never have because for most of our clients, they're best off to self-insure that risk. But if they wanted a plan, the most popular by far to handle long-term care risk is called traditional long-term care. Um, traditional long-term care is has a deceptive component to it because they call their premiums guaranteed level premium. Are they guaranteed level? No. No, they're not. So what happens is you get for 500 bucks a month, you get access to 300,000 in benefit and you have um, that 500 bucks stays the same until your late 60s, early 70s when you get the letter. The letter informs you that you've had a 60% increase in your premium. Most people predictably cancel. That's a win for the insurance company because they've collected all those premiums. Now they keep them and they have zero risk of paying out. The second option is that people cut their benefits in half. That's another win for the insurance company because now they're collecting the same premium for half the risk. We want to make sure you know that that letter is coming because if you expect that guaranteed level means for life, you're being misinformed. Well, yeah, guaranteed level premium, they'll let you keep that, keep paying them that same amount and they'll just slowly keep chipping away at that benefit. They don't, it, 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 it's deceptive in the way that it's right. sold. The third is asset-based long-term care. This is the one premium or one policy that I've sold because this is good. The good news is that you fund an account to about $100,000 and then when you die, you get paid 2X. If you go into a, uh, if you go into a facility. facility, it pays out uh, 3X. But, and if you change your mind, you can get all your money back. That works. But for most people, they can't just swing 100 grand. Gosh, I've got more to talk about on this. Can we cover this on the next uh uh, show that we do. Yeah, we can circle back to this and finish this conversation next time. Do you want to just give us the bullet points real quick and then we can uh, wrap up? The funniest one is the one that I didn't get a chance to cover. And that is uh, the safe harbor policy solution where you freak on the 70% statistic. So what you're going to do is really smart. You're going to transfer all your assets into a safe pol- harbor policy um, of your sibling, Joe and, and Martha. And then if one of you go into a facility, well, it's Medicare. Medicaid takes care of it, taxpayers. And then when your spouse passes away, you, you get all that money back and you're all good. Well, the problem is the IRS knows about this. And if they, you're diagnosed with something within five years, they claw all the assets back. But the biggest problem is Joe and Martha will probably call you from Cabo and say, you know, Thanks, Clayton, for sending me these assets. We've decided to keep them, and legally they can. So for anybody that wants to learn more about any of these problems and how they can affect you in retirement and how your retirement plan, how you can avoid them the best possible, please give us a call at 833-707-3030. Again, that number is 833-707-3030. Brian, thanks for joining me today. We look forward to next week. Thanks. 
Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Any references to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products, never securities or investments. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims paying abilities of the issuing carrier. This radio show is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be used as the sole basis for financial decisions, nor should it be construed as advice designed to meet the particular needs of an individual situation. Decker Retirement Planning is not permitted to offer, and no statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. Our firm is not affiliated with or endorsed by the U.S. government or any governmental agency. The information and opinions contained herein provided by third parties have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Decker Retirement Planning.